0: It gives me great pleasure to welcome you to a podcast on the Quakers in Chichester. Here's Michael Woolley, who's written a book of the same name to tell you about George Fox, a seeker. This is the first of our podcasts. More details of Michael's book are available on our website, chichesterquakers.org.uk forward slash local history. Please welcome Michael Woolley. Hello. On a Saturday in the late summer of 1655, a strange little group made its way from Arundel into Chichester. They almost certainly approached the town down the street called St Pancras, which led to one of the city's still standing gates. Most of the buildings, both in the street and in Eastgate Square, had been flattened in the Civil War 13 years earlier. And apart from a little row of newly built cottages adjoining the site of St Pancras Church, there would have been a clear view of the city walls. There were at least two travelers, quite possibly more. The leader was a 31-year-old roaming preacher called George Fox, an eccentric and difficult man. His way of dressing may well have attracted attention as the group entered the town, as it was very distinctive. For many years, he was given to wearing a leather suit and an extremely large hat. His hair was unfashionably long, and though he avoided any hint of royalist color or finery, even the Puritans, the royalist's greatest enemies, thought his appearance rather odd. Fox was no figure of fun, though. He had great presence, and some would suggest (coughs) that despite his strange appearance, he was very attractive, his strong personality giving him a dangerous magnetism. Several of the people who met him wrote of his amazing eyes. In a superstitious age, there were those who associated his penetrating gaze with witchcraft, a capital crime at the time, though not one of which he was ever formally charged. It is unlikely that he had been an easy traveling companion from the road from Arundel, as he was given to impenetrable silences, interspersed with passionate and sometimes lengthy outbursts. But it must also be said that he inspired tremendous loyalty. The other known traveler, for instance, as he entered Chichester that day was Ambrose Rigg, a young man of 20 or 21 who had left home just to follow him. Fox was an inspirational character, sometimes drawing crowds of hundreds to hear him speech. His message was outspoken and uncompromising. And as a result, he was familiar with the inside of various prisons. And yet the last time he had been assigned, as inside one in the spring of that same year, he had been sent forward to meet Cromwell himself and had moreover been given his liberty by the Lord Protector. In short, he was a powerful and highly complex person who despite his humble origins and his remarkable ability to annoy people was a national character. Passing through the East Gate, the travelers would have found themselves in East Street but a rather different looking street from that of today as the great building boom of the early 18th century had not yet given Chichester its characteristic Georgian appearance. The houses and shops were still timber-framed, and many had top floors which jutted out over the roadway in the Tudor fashion. At number 21, on the corner of St. Andrew's Court, they would have passed the house of William Corley, the local MP, the man who had captured the town for parliament assembling his forces on the royal fields just north of where the Festival Theatre stands today. Corley is chiefly remembered as one of those who sat in the High Court which condemned Charles I. Indeed, he was one of those who signed the death warrant of Charles I. Later, after the monarchy had been restored, local Cicestrians erected a bust of the unfortunate Charles in the Market Cross on the east side, looking sternly down the road at the house in which his tormentor had lived. Fox was religious and corly political, but they were both products of the Reformation, an extraordinary period of ecclesiastical and cultural revolution, which had been going on for the previous 120 years. Henry VIII had made the initial break with Rome, Instituted some overdue reforms of church finance, for example, but had otherwise been something of a reconciler, trying to keep the country united and its high church and low church citizens all within a single Church of England. Edward VI, who followed him, was much more decisively Protestant, and his commissioners ruthlessly stripped the churches of their, and the nation's, artistic heritage crucifixes were pulled down, statues defaced, and paintings destroyed. Chichester Cathedral still bears the marks of their depredations. After King Edward came Queen Mary, and under her, the country reverted to Catholicism, land previously taken from the high bishops was restored to them, and Cranmer was burnt at the stake in Oxford. Well, even here in Chichester, There were two unfortunates burnt in the cathedral precincts, Thomas Iverson and Richard Hooke. Little is known of Hooke, but Iverson was a carpenter, arrested with two others for reading the Bible in English. Urged to recant, he refused to do so and was martyred on the 24th of July, 1555, just a hundred years before the visit of Fox. Elizabeth, who took the throne in 1558, was like her father Henry, monarch for around 40 years. And like him, she wanted her church to be all things to almost all men. This was a policy she pursued with such skill that while the English church turned low again and the high bishops lost their estates again and the country filled up with returning Protestant exiles, she was not finally excommunicated by the Pope until 12 years after her accession. These great shifts and swings in ecclesiastical policy were to continue. The Catholics made an attempt on the life of King James in 1605, we call it the gunpowder plot. And his son King Charles was so ill thought of by the Puritans that when the country was riven by civil war in 1642, one of the primary aims of parliament was to make the country safe for Protestantism. It was from this ferment that Quaker beliefs and Fox, their greatest early exponent, were to spring. The same thoughts were occurring to different people in different parts of the country. In 1646, Oliver Cromwell, not yet more than a soldier, had voiced an interesting idea. To be a seeker is the next best sect to a finder, and such shall every faithful, humble seeker be in the end. In Northamptonshire and independently of Cromwell, a group of open-minded searchers for truth, the children of life emerged in 1648. In Westmoreland and also independently of Cromwell, another similar movement was known as the Westmoreland Seekers. For over a hundred years, different groups of Christians have been proclaiming so many sometimes irreconcilable truths that seeking in humble and faithful fashion was an appealing notion to many people. It was an idea whose time had come, and in Fox, the various seekers found a voice and a leader. This was the man who came into Chichester that Saturday afternoon in 1655. That night, he and his people stayed at a woman's house Probably that of Margaret Marjorie Wilkinson, who lived on the site of what is today 62 North Street. There is a plaque on the building today, noting that regular Quaker meetings were being held there in 1659. A meeting was held in the house in 1655, and Fox was to write later in his journal that many professors came in and some janglings there were, but the Lord's power was over all which is to say there were a lot of believers, some disturbance, that it was a, but that it was a worthwhile and reverent meeting. He goes on to recount how the woman of the house was convinced, but was in love with a man, also present at the meeting, whom she later married and then discovered to be a bad lot. She was, in the journal's words, greatly distracted. But later she returned to her Quaker ways meeting Fox on at least two further occasions, both before and after she was widowed. The account in the journal is supplemented by that of Ambrose Rigg, who records that the next morning, Sunday, Fox went to a Baptist meeting, at that time held in a house in South Street. He was listened to for a while, but at length taken by the constable before the mayor. This strongly suggested that he spoke without invitation, interrupting the service, something he was rather prone to do until the embarrassed Baptists had him hauled away. The story gets more revealing for the mayor one Richard Manning fell in a rage with him for not taking off his hat, a normal courtesy in the 17th century. Fox refused to take off his hat to anyone and frequently got into trouble as a result. He insisted that all men should be treated with equal respect as all had that of God in them. He also insisted on always using the familiar second person singular thee thou rather than the more uh, respectful you for the same egalitarian reasons. The revolution which had led to the king's execution had opened men's eyes to the possibility of a less hierarchical world. The egalitarianism of Fox reflected the ideas of the, pe- of the period. The Levellers, for example, were adherents of a popular democratic movement, which insisted that all authority should only be wielded with the consent of the people. An elected parliament should be sovereign, its power only qualified by respect for basic human rights. The equality of men was another idea whose time had come during the Civil War and it was an idea which greatly influenced George Fox and his followers. The mayor of Chichester let him go, apparently unconvinced by the accusation that the man was a Jesuit. This accusation was not uncommon at the time, there being much paranoia about disguised Catholics fomenting revolution. The situation was not helped by Quaker refusal to swear the oath of allegiance which had been introduced after the gunpowder plot, supposedly to ensure that all Catholics were loyal citizens. The problem for Quakers was that they refused to swear any oaths and still do, incidentally, on the basis of New Testament preaching. Yet she let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, said Jesus. It must be assumed that the oath was not tendered at Fox's appearance in the Chichester court, for he would most certainly have declined it and been imprisoned. As it was, he was allowed to go, having been searched, and two days later, he left for the west of England. And that is how the Quaker meeting began in Chichester.